And welcome in on this Thursday, the Killcoin Conversation, coming to you from the KTRS studios. A couple of great talkers, a couple of my favorite guests. Maybe I say that too often, but we try to get people on that we really enjoy and have fun with. Tom Hart from ESPN, SEC Network. You hear him calling college basketball, college football. A lot of Mizzou games he pops up. He's also a Columbia guy, went to Mizzou. Not that he's rooting for the Tigers, but he's one of those announcers you watch the game He's really good at what he does, but he also has fun. You can tell he's always having a little bit of fun. I like when he's with John Sunvold, not just because you got the Columbia connection, but they just really play off each other really well. We're going to talk to Tom about college basketball. How did South Carolina get so good at basketball so quickly? What's the rest of the league saying about Mizzou being 0-11 in the conference, winless? Because it's fun when you talk to these guys who work within the league. They go from – College Town to College Town, all within the conference. So I'm sure they're always buzzing about certain teams. We'll get his take on what's going on with Mizzou. Also, Nick Saban leaving not just the SEC, but leaving college football. Tom's always a lot of fun. Looking forward to that. And Vahe Gregorian from the Kansas City Star. And this has been going on for a couple of weeks. We're trying to have Vahe on. First, it was the Chiefs getting ready for the Super Bowl. And Vahe is real close with Andy Reid, covers that team He's almost like a Chiefs columnist, but so talented, such a great writer for decades at the Post-Dispatch. Just a really, in a sports world, it's rare to say this about somebody, but he's a really thoughtful guy and smart, introspective. So we tried a couple of weeks ago. Then last week with Vegas, I said, maybe let's just get through the week, cover the game. And then on Monday, Chiefs win the Super Bowl. We're kind of going round and round. And we were going to do something Tuesday. And we're like, oh, the Royals are announcing the new stadium. Well, Wednesday's the parade. So we settled on Thursday and didn't know we'd have the tragic events at the parade. Uh, And Vahe wrote a beautiful column uh, about that. But the news cycle, not just in Kansas City, but for what Vahe does, I'm fascinated to catch up with him because it's been a roller coaster ride emotionally from the highs and just the news of the week, and then all of a sudden you have what took place in Kansas City. So Vahe Gregorian, Kansas City star, uh, one of the best. He'll be on the show with us. We've got a Blues game tonight, their first home game in over two weeks. Remember they had that dud, that clunker, was it Columbus? And then they went on the big break. I think the players had already boarded the plane before that game. So back home for the next four Still hanging on in the uh, West, trying to get a playoff spot. Big game on Saturday because Nashville's here. That's a team you're trying to keep in the rearview mirror. You beat them. You're going to hear this a bunch. That's a four-point game, Bob. That's one of them four-point games. You beat them. They get zero. You get two. That's a four-point swing. (laughs) So that's part of the homestand. Also of note, not, not to go through the whole schedule here, but the Monday game, it's interesting. It's a day game. And it's President's Day. I don't know how many kids are going that are off school, but it's a noon start, I want to say, on Monday against the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, fun homestand for the Blues. It's a four-game homestand. St. Louis City SC firing everything up. They had media day. We'll talk to Brendan a little bit later about that. Media day leading up to next week, which is not only the home opener on Tuesday, but the MLS opener next Saturday. So, a lot of soccer to talk about. And also about the NFL note, Steve Wilkes fired by the 49ers, the defensive coordinator, who had a rebirth. I mean, Mizzou fans had PTSD just seeing this guy, defensive coordinator in year two for Drinkwitz. And remember, Mizzou was, like, historically bad at defense. 
And he comes back around, gets the job this year with the Niners. And during the Super Bowl, I mean, the Chiefs were getting shut down pretty good for a bulk of that game and didn't blow out the Niners. And I was thinking, man, how many cutaways? There were more cutaways of Steve Wilkes than Taylor Swift, the old Mizzou coach. I was thinking this on Sunday. Things have really kind of worked out for him. And he's been a head coach previously, I think, interim in Arizona, or he was full-time with the Arizona Cardinals, interim in Carolina. But he's been around the league a long time. He gets fired. I'm like, wait a minute. They actually, they're pretty good on defense. But Kyle Shanahan just said, we're looking to go in another direction or whatever it was. You never know behind the scenes what goes on. But I was I was fascinated by that because just on Sunday, I was thinking, boy, this guy has really come back out on top after leaving Missouri with his tiger tail between his legs. And in the NFL, man, NFL, not for long. So Tom Hart, Vahe Gregorin, that is our Thursday show. Brendan Weesey and I will close it out. We do that every night on the show. Also want to tell you about Illinois Recovery Center. They're located in Swansea, Illinois. Opened their doors in 2023, and the work they're doing is important work. They're helping folks with addiction, whether it's drugs or alcohol, the opioid crisis. I don't have to tell anybody anymore. There was a while where maybe you didn't know about it. Now you can't avoid hearing about it. It's going on all across our country. There's some hope. There's some help. Those two words go together, hope and help, right across the river. Swansea, Illinois, it's a beautiful campus. They went and gutted all the buildings. Everything's brand new, professional staff, many of them with their own story of recovery. They're using a variety of evidence-based treatment programs, and they can do residential as well as outpatient. Illinois Recovery Center, get your life back, embrace sobriety, safe, inclusive environment. This is the place to go for yourself your loved one, one of your kids, your neighbor's colleague. If somebody needs help, it's right across the river, Swansea, Illinois. It's Illinois Recovery Center on the web, IllinoisRecoveryCenter.com. Right now we're joined by Vahe Gregorian from the Kansas City Star, columnist, uh, outstanding columnist, formerly with the Post-Dispatch, which I guess now, has it been a decade, Vahe, your your merger to KC, your trip west? <laughs> Yeah, it's been uh, on into the 11th year. I, wow. I came over here in 2013, still only about less than half the time I was at the Post-Dispatch. So, um, you know, I'm still a newcomer in KC, right. but, but it has been a while. Wow. It's it's amazing. I said this at the outset of the show, you and I texting, and uh, I'm like, well, this would be a good time. Well, this would be a good time. I'm like, well, no, it's, it's busy. The news cycle just this week alone from a Super Bowl to cover on Sunday – then the Royals roll out their stadium announcement Tuesday, then the parade, and then the tragedy that ensues. I know you've been doing this a long time, but I would just think the roller coaster here, even for what you do emotionally, it's 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 just a really just an intense couple of days. Yeah, that's really well said, Martin. And and the, the point the, the roller coaster point I think is what it is. I mean, some some events you know you're covering and you know there might be something happening, then other events, uh and particularly tragic events, you know, just shake up your your insides and shake up the whole landscape, obviously. And uh, it has been a little bit of a, a complicated time because I think um, in so many ways, the last eight, nine, ten days were really kind of a capstone on on this era in Kansas City sports history. And that you know started with we, we already knew we were hosting the World Cup in 2026, but we didn't know we were getting six games, including a quarterfinal. That was you know a week ago last Sunday. The next day, Bobby Witt Jr. signs a uh, 11-year contract extension. This is not the kind of money the Royals have ever spent before. 
you, you Cardinals people uh, see this stuff, but, but it's pretty unprecedented here. And then obviously the Chiefs' fourth Super Bowl trip in five years and finally winning it and the parade and the Royals announcing the ballpark. So all of that just screeches to a halt with what happened yesterday because um, that's all we can think of. And it is all we should be thinking of. I, I know that in time we'll, you know, step back, have a little different kind of perspective and, uh, uh, you know, try to, I don't know about make sense of what happened, but to try to move on from it. And, um, you know, that that's what, you know, resilient people do and that's what will happen. But you just find yourself wondering uh, when is enough enough and when will anybody do anything about what what's happening here and all across America, uh, almost almost as if routine and almost as if inevitable. Yeah, and I know people get, you know, get crazy about the topic of, you know, gun control. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about just the fact that we have so many, just the willingness to shoot one another or just the, the I guess, even the uh, desensitization maybe of everyone that just does it. Like, it's not even a thing. And I, I just can't even come to grips with it. And you've got community events we went out of covid where nobody could be together and now we're all back together and then you're going to get people who are afraid to be together or be in big events i'm curious too what what was your vantage point what was your just your personal uh ride yesterday well so yeah so as i think i mentioned you know our our, where our office is now is in crown center in kansas city and you know we actually have a bird's eye view of the parade from the window but uh several of us particularly my my co-sports columnist and dear friend Sam McDowell and I were out there um, until the uh, floats went by and then we thought, okay, we can't get close to the stage. Let's go get back up to the office so we can hear what's being said on the stage. And um, then, you know, when it became apparent something was going on, um, there were about eight or ten of us from the star that, that went out there. And I don't want to make it sound like we, you know, we thought we were running into fire or something like that. That, that. That's not my point, but we wanted to try to make sure we understood what was happening and, and talk to people. And so we spent about the next hour or so out there. And um, maybe you saw on Twitter a couple of videos I posted. Uh, at, the one that struck me the most was uh, uh, a woman, Dana, um, gosh, I believe Bradley was her last name, but it's, it's all a little foggy right now. But Dana Bradley and her daughter Madison, they flew in from New Hampshire for the parade because Dana's from Kansas City. And they were not even really directly engaged. But the, the absolute um, terror and, and even petrified look on, on the poor 14-year-old girl's face was, was something I'll never forget, especially on a day where I'd been taking stock of all the innocence and the, the kind of sweetness of all the children around, the baby strollers. Um, children up on parents' shoulders, kids playing pick-up pick up football that had never met each other before. Um, that, that's what stays with me. And then, of course, as you know, nine, nine children were among those shot. Shot. And um, apparently they're, they're um, all on the way to recovery is our last understanding. But what, what do you tell the children? What do you tell people about, about this and try to act like, it, it's okay, and I realize you know you don't want to go into the political realm, and but I hate that we think that talking about gun safety is political. That's absurd. I mean, it's an epidemic. It only happens in our country, and um, it it's because of neglect by our politicians. 
Yeah, no, my point is if you just say guns and the, the conversation stops, you know what I'm saying? There's right. Each side, right. there has to be a better conversation about public safety or the value of human life. Like, how is this happening? And if we can, and then maybe we get to, like, oh, all right, that law is too loose, or that one needs a change, or that one's fine, or these guys aren't following the rules anyway. But I just feel like it stops immediately when we just say, they're going to take our guns, or. Right. The, 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 and, just, and look, just to make the distinction here. I'm, you know, I'm not fundamentally anti-gun. You should be able to hunt. I guess you should be able to protect yourself. But there's a big difference between giving people the ability to do mass shootings and the enabling of these kinds of weapons, like military-grade weapons, that are prevalent. They're, they're prevalent. It's just unbelievable. How can that be? And that, that I don't see – the problem I think we have is that you can't, to your point, you can't have – a real conversation about it because the people that think you're, you don't think AK-47s are a good thing think you're trying to come after their hunting gun. and Or some people. I, should, I don't want to say all people. That's not fair. There are a lot of responsible gun owners, I'm quite sure. But there is an element that feels like if you even bring up that somebody shouldn't have an automatic uh, weapon that they would use in war on our streets, then you're, then you're coming after their guns. That's just preposterous it's lunacy yeah and i just i wonder how we have a rational discussion about what does make sense and how do we kind of look at the math and the numbers of what's happening and saying this is it's not a country we don't want our country to live this way i think that's more than fair i i saw something recent with clyde edwards alaire apparently he sheltered some kids have you heard some stories not that it's the most important thing but it is interesting that chiefs players i guess were in enough proximity that some of them actually were holding on to kids or helping them hide? Yeah, there, there was, uh, there's been a few reports of that. I can't tell you I've got a comprehensive view of it, but e- even yesterday when we were out there talking to uh, people who were leaving, uh, our Sam McDowell, Laura Bauer, and, and Judy Thomas, I think were the ones speaking to a couple people who uh, had been helped by Andy Reid. Mm. Andy Reid had kind of uh, em- embraced and uh, encouraged um, a, a couple people in there. Trey Smith, um, I, as I understand it, was, was helping uh, just basically put his arm around kids and get them into a shelter spot. So the, the timing of this was pretty, pretty close to, I don't want to say exactly when the Chiefs were leaving the stage, they were, but it was around that time because the, the, the ceremony was done, but we were struck by the fact that a lot of the Chiefs were kind of lingering on the stage um, we actually bumped into, of all people, Donna Kelsey a little later, who, who told us that um, once that all happened, I mean, they, they got the Chiefs out of there pretty fast, but, but not so fast they didn't have a chance to try to help some people, which is you know, pretty telling, right, in that, in that moment that, that they have, have the, uh, um, the, the, the fortitude and the, the thoughtfulness to try to, try to you know, just console and, and help people. Well, and this is going to sound sappy, but if, if anyone can help your city heal, I think it's the Chiefs because that connection, the love for that team, that brand is so strong. And there's no good segue for me here, but I'm curious in the time you've been there, just what you've seen in terms of the monumental growth of the brand and just the Chiefs. I mean, they are – we were talking the other day, Joel Goldberg was on, and he said, I never thought the Chiefs would be compared to the Patriots, but now people hate the Chiefs just because they're winning – so often, and I, I think that's a fair comp right now. 
Yeah, and I'll, you know, I'll say this is kind of interesting, and it's a little bit, I don't know if the Chiefs, the feeling of the Chiefs fans parallels the feeling of Cardinals fans. I'm not, I'm not sure. There's, there's some parallels in terms of the passion, even when things are not going well. Um, but the difference is it's almost always gone well for the Cardinals. And the Chiefs, you know, went through 50 years of not getting back to a Super Bowl and a lot of just agonizing losses. And guess what? The fans were um, still pretty intense and pretty dedicated. So when you combine that kind of fan base with this just, you know, unbelievable run they've had, especially unbelievable coming out of what they'd come out of all those years, um, it's just top of the charts. And, you know, the Chiefs, uh, some people – uh, are calling them, you know, the new America's team, which what, what comes with that is, of course, the uh, polarizing aspect, right, of, you know, they're winning and et cetera. But the Chiefs have had this ambition of trying to call themselves the world's team for a few years. It's one of the reasons they've done a lot of international marketing. And, you know, the visibility of Patrick Mahomes um, and obviously the Travis Taylor Swift uh, story has really, you know, ratcheted that up all the more. One last thing in this little burst I'll just say is that I get that there are people that, you know, there's a certain set of people that's just going to present the uh, the winners, right? That's just how it happens, especially when you win a lot. It reminds me of that old, uh, I think it was Clairol commercial, Don't Hate Me Because I'm Beautiful. Um, but but what's different to me about the Chiefs, and maybe uh, I'm just drinking the local Kool-Aid because I've been around them a lot, is that I think Patrick Mahomes has an incredible uh, appeal that I'm not sure Tom Brady had. I mean, I think I think people perceive Brady um, to some degree as a whiner. You know, there's there's some stigma with the Patriots. Uh, you know, some Scandal of the and, yeah. cheating cheating issues. Nobody's saying that about about Patrick Mahomes. And I I think Patrick is deeply respected by his peers around the league because I think he's, you know, he'll talk a little trash, but he's basically a sportsman. I mean, he's telling people good hit. He's uh, he's a look you in the eye guy with the media. He, he never rolls his eyes at questions. Um, this is a side point, but he works with you when, when, when you, when you are working on an angle, you can tell he's like reading the defense and trying to help you. So, I mean, I just think he's um, a pretty, pretty, Mag- magnetic face of Kansas City, and I, I. So look, maybe people hate him as much as the Patriots. I don't know, but I, I think there's something different about this. And I, I think there's a crowd that wants to. There's not a lot there to dislike. I, I just, I don't see it at all. Maybe you're just tired of him being in every commercial. But there was the video before the Ravens game where they showed him kicking. Justin Tucker's ball out of the way. And I think, but so look at this. Boy, he got so cocky so quick. And then you find out, no, Tucker was actually kind of messing with the Chiefs. It was their area they were working in. And it was kind of his way of kind of just getting under their skin. But it's it's amazing how quickly that can be, you know, the misconception can start. Oh, see, Mahomes is kind of a jerk. You didn't even know it. It's almost like people are looking, because there's nothing there. And I think I think Brady yeah. Brady maybe was a little robotic, maybe. And this yeah. this guy just seems more real. Even they showed the shot of him, he had his shirt off, and maybe he wasn't as lean and mean as everyone thought he was. Yeah. And I saw him in the pregame show the other day. He said, yeah, man, it's a dad bod, but that was a tough angle for me. There's better angles than that. Yeah. And I, he even just kind of owned that. He look, he handles everything that way, and even some stuff like you know the other day it's, the Super Bowl's over, and he thinks to thank Alex Smith again because Alex Smith was kind of the mentor for him for the sort of redshirt year. You know, thirty seconds on the stage in the AFC Championship game, he brings up 
you know, that the game meant a lot to them because of Norma Hunt's death uh, last summer. And, you know, he has the presence of mind on these things. It's pretty incredible. By the way, just one quick correction, though. It was actually Kelsey that, that uh, moved through the helmet of Tucker out of the way. and, and Okay. The I, don't, I don't think Patrick did any of that. Okay, but yeah, he was, he was working that area. Right, you're right. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Well, it was Kelsey. Kelsey would play. He doesn't mind being the WWE character. Uh, he's no, no, he's no. not retiring, right? Didn't he say I'll be back? Or has anyone? I know Andy made it official. Are they bringing the band back together? Well, look, there's 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 been some sort of I don't know cryptic responses in some ways from Andy. Although I think Andy's got him on the hook at this point. I don't understand. There's, I, there's simply no reason. Other than other than the possibility with, that nobody knows of that if, that Andy's got some illness, I think Andy's coaching at least to the end of the end, end of his capability to move and and be animated. I mean, he's going to keep going for a long time unless he physically can't, unless there's an illness, and we have no reason to think there is. I don't know what these you know kind of uh, bits and pieces of rumors come from, but um, I'd, I'd be stunned again unless there's something that we don't know about his health. And Travis, you know, he's done some stuff like tell the Wall Street Journal that he thought about retirement more than people know. And then every time we ask him about it, he's like, you know, I can't wait to be back. Now, <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. Jason Kelsey hasn't officially retired yet. I mean, people assume he has, but I don't think he's made that announcement. We, we wonder if they might do that on a New Heights podcast sometime. It's hard, <laughs> it's hard to say um, that, you know, maybe they would do it together. But I, I, at this point, we have no reason to think Travis will retire. Vahe Gregorian, sports columnist, Kansas City Star. How much of your job is Chiefs related? You get you get to pick your columns, and sure, when Bobby Witt signs or they roll out a new stadium design for the Royals, but are, are you seventy percent Chiefs, or is that too high? That's a really good estimate, and and, and I'd say it probably is seventy percent because it's almost ninety percent for about six months. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and really, the last month, you know, once it gets to be the playoffs, it, that that's really all it is. Um, so, uh, but you know, it, it's, it's, that's good. Cause it's, it's stuff that's very compelling to work on and write about. And, um, you know, I'll get out to spring training here in a couple of weeks and then we'll be in the middle of March madness. And hopefully the Royals will, uh, not be out of contention by the end of April as usual this year. So that'll be more interesting. They should be better. Um, there's a lot of reasons they should be better. And, uh, then next thing you know, we're kind of cranking up the chief's machine again. Yeah, I said this about their stadium the other day. They have the best endorsement so far. Mahomes tweeted, "Looking good," or go or whatever he did. He he basically said, "I like it." Uh, what's next? They've got to pass the vote, but it sounds like it's it's a three eighths of a cent tax that already exists. Is there any chance? It, is there any chance it doesn't move forward? There is a chance. There's some resentment uh, toward the Royals in, in town over this, and I, you know. I, I, I'm trying to keep an open mind about it, but I, but I, people don't want to leave Coffin Stadium. People, there's, there's a percentage of people that really love Coffin Stadium. People also, you know, are there's a certain skepticism about a downtown ballpark. But I mean, obviously, coming from where I came from, you can see the benefits. I mean, it's 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 part of the fabric of St. Louis, and I think it would work well here. I think the problem is there's some some lingering questions about what damage could be done. Uh, in the district they want to put it. It's a thriving district. If it's done right, if it folds in right, it really could be kind of a connector and catalyst. Um, but there are people that are in the district that are worried about that. And I think there's a percentage of people that, even though it would just be extending the same tax, feel like 
I don't want to put that money uh, in their pockets, you know, and, and I, I understand where they're coming from, but I also understand that, you know, the Chiefs and Royals are, are pretty good for Kansas City. Um, it doesn't seem to me to be a, a, a great price to pay for, for that. And uh, I, I just think people want some some blanks filled in on, on what this will really be. Bear in mind, I think you mentioned this, but I'm not sure that the tax is entwined with the, the Chiefs wanting to do renovations. Um, and I guess if it gets shot down on April 2nd, then there might be, uh, you know, maybe they'll split on this. You know, they've been connected because they've been at the same stadium complex for so long. But with that changing, I'm not sure that they couldn't, you know, go after different fan bases, different different vote points here. And the Chiefs certainly have a little more Oh um, yeah, behind ride, them right ride, ride those Royals, ride those coattails for sure, and say, hey, yeah. hey even if you don't like us, uh, your buddies Mahomes and uh, Kelsey would like it if you'd vote for it. That's, that's a heck of yeah. a way to sell it. And then I wonder, uh, final thought, I guess, long term then with Arrowhead, if Kaufman gets replaced, do you just see the Chiefs sort of taking over that parking lot, building their own little kingdom or whatever they call it? you think that's what they would eye eventually? I think that's the idea. It, it, there's it's very interesting to picture how it would work, though, because we've had some thoughts that maybe it would be like what the Packers do or what the Patriots do with these extended areas around it. On the other hand, the Chiefs have not really expressed that, and that area has been very difficult to develop around the stadiums. It's, I mean, it's crazy. In 50 years there, there's just almost nothing around it. So I guess the question they'd have to figure out is, what other types of events would they want to put on in the area? Could there be, I'm making this up, but like a, a concert venue, smaller concert venue, you know, they build in there. Could there be those sorts of things that are bringing people to that area on, on the, you know, 330-plus days or 50-plus days that there's not football at that stadium? I think that, that will be part of the challenge. Like, why do I want to go out there? I mean, or do you just, can you build enough around it for game day that makes it, you know, worth worth the cost, worth, and you know, what does it do for them? So there's, I think the chief has really started to formulate what those plans would be, but I, I don't know that we really have a good feel for that yet. I wonder if, and this, and I, my brain always wanders, but I just wonder if it's residential, like Arrowhead Village, and you have young people living in these condos, and then that allows you to have bars or restaurants that are getting supported because. You know, the 901210 or Melrose Park, whatever those shows, you know, like a younger, hip crowd, if you could build some kind of – anyway, that's that's for another day. But, Vahe, we always appreciate you hopping on the show. I know it's been a crazy week, uh, both exciting, sad, thrilling, all the emotions of the week, and uh, you're always thoughtful and interesting, and thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, Martin, always good to be with you. Thanks for, uh, thanks for keeping up with me, and, and uh, I appreciate your friendship. And on the line with us, Tom Hart from ESPN, SEC Network, college football, college basketball. You see him on your TV, and uh, you can't avoid Tom Hart. Do you do college baseball, wrestling, lacrosse? What else is in the Tom yeah, Hart college repertoire? Baseball is actually college baseball starting this week. I won't dip my toe into those waters until after the SEC basketball tournament. But yeah, we're right there with baseball too. I knew that. I knew that. And you're, you know, while well, your Braves experience, why did I say? What about wrestling, field hockey, lacrosse? Where can I stop? I worked one lacrosse game in my life when I was at the Big Ten Network. I called in conjunction with the lone lacrosse game. I called Urban Myers for spring game at oh. Ohio State, and when the boss was called to tell me or and or ask, 
They said, we're going to have you do the Ohio State lacrosse game at noon. And I said, well, with all due respect, I've never called lacrosse before. Um, how about you reach out to somebody else? And the guy very patiently said, uh, that's fine. Just understand that the same person will be doing the spring game. So it's either somebody else or you. And I said, I've got plenty of time to learn lacrosse. I'm your guy. <laughs> wow, that's that's on par with, didn't Costas have to do like Syracuse hockey and he just made it up or something? It, it's <laughs> I was so bad at lacrosse, and God bless the person they put with me who was, you know, a former All-American and knew the sport really well. I literally missed a goal. I was so bad at it. But um, got to stick around and spend some time with Urban and watch the football team, so that was good. It all it all paid off. My daughter plays lacrosse, and I said, I know so little, I can't even yell at the refs, which kills me. I mean, I can't – I don't even know what a bad call is. You're the best kind of parent. That That is ideal. Yeah, that's true. That way I am paralyzed in my own uh, ignorance, which is a good thing. Well, Tom, let's talk some college basketball, SEC. Uh, we know Alabama's having a great year. I think – give me your – if we talk surprises to you, SEC basketball. I mean, I think we thought – well, I guess it's got to be South Carolina, right, in terms of how good they've been? Yeah, without a doubt. Lamont Paris is in his second season as the head coach there. They're 21-4. and four. They had a bad loss this week, but that's just in line with the inconsistency – of great teams in college basketball this season. Um, you know, he needed one year to kind of get the pieces in place that he wanted. And w- one thing that's allowing him to have success is the SEC has turned into this incredibly high-paced, great shooting league with better three-point shooting than we've seen in years, high-paced offenses, a lot of, lot of big games. Alabama's had seven games of 100 points or more. And my Paris, who was a longtime Wisconsin assistant under Bo Ryan, has slowed things down to a crawl. So it's almost like college football being a service academy running the triple option, right? I mean, he's running a style that's so different, um, and he's certainly improved the talent that they have on that roster. It's allowed him to stand out for the team to have a historical year in terms of what South Carolina basketball has been you know, over the centuries. And Bo Ryan had great success at Wisconsin. I kind of like it if you're going to try and come in and win. Obviously, it's something he believes in, but I would also think it frustrates these teams that want to run and want to get up and down the floor. Like it, it has the ability, even if you have lesser talent, to sort of throw them off a bit. Yeah, it evens the playing field, without a doubt. It's, it's very frustrating. Um, there is a general lack of patience among – I don't want to be the get-off-my-lawn guy, but among – youth these days when it comes to basketball they want the ball back and they want to go play offense they want to get up a shot quick and when they don't get the ball for a little bit or you force them into using a lot of shot clock that changes what they're used to and takes them out of their um you know out of their comfort zone which is a great way to coach what do you hear around the league you're calling games and you see mizzou winless in the sec i mean i think we all thought they'd take a step back this year you lost a lot of talent two guys in the nba but What's your level of shock to see the Tigers at 0-11? It is surprising. Um, it's not that often you see a team this deep in the conference play be sitting without a win. But the coaches that I've talked to who have both had success and crapped out in the transfer portal will tell you it's hit or miss. It's like trying to find your wife via speed dating. You know, it's you think you're getting one person in the portal, and they show up, and they're somebody different. Um, Eric Musselman in Arkansas dealing with the same thing. He's been a regular in the second weekend of the NCAA tournament since he's been there. They went into the portal heavy. They're only 3-8 and eight in the league. Um, 
Missouri had to replace some great players, and it was a tough task to kind of roll the dice on some portal guys. John Tanji stands out. He's been hurt. Um, he won't play the rest of the season. He was a great player for a really good team at Colorado State last year, and for whatever reason just wasn't a fit in the SEC, and they're still waiting. I, I My guess is, and I don't know if there's anything official, um, but Caleb Grill, who had played at a couple of stops, including Iowa State, out with a hand injury, my guess is they're going to preserve that red shirt, and we won't see him again this year. So you miss on two players that you were hoping to stay healthy and contribute. That's a huge loss in this day and age. Now, I know in football you get sort of the night before the production meeting. What Basketball, is it just sort of a quick hello before the game in terms of these coaches and getting to see them? Yeah, it depends on uh, what time the game is and, and who you're with. I usually try to get there the day before uh, and to practice the day before where there's a little bit less stress and, and more time to spend with us. Um, if that's not possible, then shoot around day of the game. Usually, you know, I've been around this league long enough. I know these guys fairly well. There's good information to be gotten. And I'm trying to think because in football we'll talk about Saban and some of these guys, just unique personalities. I would think even the Coach Cals and then you've got Bruce Pearl. There's a lot of, I won't say charmers in the league, but do you enjoy, are there a couple that you enjoy they have a decent rapport with? Oh, absolutely. They're all really good, first and foremost, because I, I don't think you can be a successful college coach these days without understanding the value of advertising your program and the best way to do that is the two and a half hours that you're on television to try to get that message out that's the easiest and most direct way to eat uh, to reach your audience so you know you mentioned bruce pearl i mean he is cut from the same cloth of, as barnum and bailey i mean he <laughs> is able to sell 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 and he is constantly on pushing the the highlights of his program so that's you got to be prepared for that when you go in there and meet with with Pearl. Cal, I've known since his Memphis days, and so um, you know things haven't been all rosy in, in Lexington and Big Blue Nation this year. And he's also a realist, um, so it's it's always enjoyable to. With Cal, you get more of a big picture. Here's what's going on in the world of college basketball conversation. You know what's happening at Duke or North Carolina. How is the Pac-12 going away going to impact college basketball? Should we go to an expanded tournament in the next couple of years or when the TV contract ends? Um, but they're all fonts of information. Sometimes you have to sit through what's worthwhile to the audience and what's just fun to banter about for a couple of hours. What's the crowd like at Rupp Arena? Because there are you know, a lot of old-time Kentucky fans. They're very expectant in terms of the product, but are they generally polite or do they get angry when the team's struggling? That is a fascinating study that someone should um, should put pencil to paper on. I tell you what, the first Kentucky game I remember doing, I, I ended up at a bar adjacent to Rupp Arena in the hotel I was staying at and ran into some fans, and they were mad. And they were mad because they had only won that non-conference game against, I don't know, UNC Greensboro by 35 points. And they were mad that they only had eight national championships. And I said, hold on. You know, college basketball has only been handing out trophies for whatever, seven decades for the NCAA tournament and the NIT before that. How many do you think you should have? And the guy looks me square in the eye, and I'm not sure how sober he was or wasn't, but he knew this with all of his heart, that they should win every single season. And there is no excuse <laughs> for not winning it. Uh, but generally, it is a very 
uh, I don't want to say understanding. They're a nice fan base. I had their Tennessee game a couple of weeks ago, which was a huge game, and it was packed to the Raptors, one of the biggest arenas in the country. Um, and they were as loud and as enthusiastic as any any arena I've ever been in. Now, at the end, after Tennessee had hung, I think, 103 points on them, their, their mood has shifted a little bit. But that's um, it's a really interesting study based on having a Hall of Fame coach there who's not winning in the present as much as he did when he first got there. Um, it's, you know, listen, it's very similar to Cardinals baseball. It is, it doesn't, w- w- they want to be these incredible fans and want to be understanding um, and want to be gracious. But at the same time, if you're not holding up your end of the bargain with the history of the program, then it's time to find somebody else. Tom Hart, our guest, ESPN, SEC Network, college basketball, college baseball, college football. Since we're talking coaches, let's go to Nick Saban. What a seismic shift for the league, just the fact that he's not going to be there. Did it catch you off guard at all? I, I I just feel like Alabama had to have had some heads up. You don't have a guy like that leave, you would think, without a little bit of knowledge and for the school, that is. How about for you? How did that news hit you? Yeah, I was surprised. And, and um, you know, I knew that he wasn't the type of coach that was going to take a rocking chair tour. First of all, um, the people that you recruit against will not allow that to happen in college football because they are absolute assassins. And if there's one whisper that you may be on your way out, they're going to use that to their advantage, especially in this portal era. So I think whenever it was decided, Alabama did a really good job of keeping everything within the walls and keeping it close to the vest. Um, but you're right. It, it is a major shift, not just in the SEC, but as a as a whole within college football. And, and they brought in Kalen DeBoer, who I think is going to be a great coach. But I, I had uh, Washington in the Alamo Bowl two years ago and was so impressed with how tight he and his coaching staff were together. These guys had been together since they were – at the NAIA level at Sioux Falls, well, now some of those guys have left, and they've kind of left him on his own. And Alabama is as vulnerable as it's been in the last, you know, 25 years right now. And in a, in a league that is adding Texas and Oklahoma, that is not a good place to be. And Tom is not only a Mizzou alum, grew up in Columbia. We haven't talked since the football season. Uh, no, he's not rooting for Mizzou, just like Joe Buck is not rooting for the Cardinals or against the Cardinals, uh, although now he can. He's not doing baseball. But <laughs> how about, free. Yeah, he's free. Now he can. What about Mizzou's football season? What What did you think was possible? And, and kind of moving forward, what does this do for that brand uh, in the league? Martin, something happened to me today. I, I live in Atlanta, Georgia now, uh, in Atlanta that has never happened to me before. I'm, I'm wearing a Mizzou hoodie, and I was at the store with my wife, and this worker walked by, and he saw me, and he said, hey, bud, I got an Ohio State sweatshirt in the car if you want to swap. <laughs> never before has an Ohio State fan tried to talk trash to a Missouri fan, maybe ever, and here it is happening now in, in February of the year of our Lord, 2024, because of not just what Missouri did last season, but I think there was a uh, benefit to playing such a brand name in the Cotton Bowl and getting a win against Ohio State. It, it's, it's much different, and I think we could admit this, than if they had beaten, say, Minnesota in the Cotton Bowl. It just carries a lot more weight. Um, what Eli has been able to perform there on the recruiting side of things has given them a, a leg up, which is really tough to find in the SEC. Uh, as we know, it is a cutthroat business. Um, and they're bringing a lot of talent back for next season. So I, I think they're in 
really good shape. You never really know with all the shifting in the rosters until even after spring games and over the course of the summer, what things look like come August. But I think Missouri uh, has an incredible foundation and in, in great shape to continue that role. And do you think the college football playoff, does this solve it now? Are we going to be done whining, complaining? Because I don't care about the 13th or 14th team. Do you think well, they finally got it right, do you think? Yes, I think they got it right. But um, don't, don't sleep on the people that want to enact change because we may not be that far away from jumping from 12 to 16. My my guess is if you wanted to make a more impactful change, you would have everybody uh, in the postseason playing home games into the semifinals. That's what college football is about, the passion of the fan bases and the pageantry in these home stadiums. That's what I would be for if you're going to make any changes before you go to 16. But we haven't even had the 12-team playoff start yet. So pump the brakes. Let us just kind of enjoy what we have coming and, and get used to the new reality of 12 teams in the postseason. Yeah, we should have had Tom Hart on Valentine's Day. If I was thinking, it would have been on yesterday's show. And for the record, he did not meet his wife speed dating. They were probably at By George, <laughs> Booches, Harpo's. No, probably, uh, probably not in Columbia, if I'm guessing. No, no, not not in Columbia, uh, even though she's been back many times and is a big fan. Well, Tom, great to have you on the show. Keep up the good work. Always fun when we look up, you're doing the game, especially when it's you and Sunvolt. I'm like, this has got to be a thrill of a lifetime for a kid from Columbia sitting next to Sonny, and I know you guys do a great job together. I learned how to shoot a basketball from him at Norm Stewart's basketball camp. The only thing he can't do, apparently, is teach a guy like me (laughs) because – my career petered out pretty early, but it's a, it's a blast to be able to work with him every time I get that opportunity. He's, I think he's the best analyst ESPN has. No doubt. Tom, thanks for hopping on. Tell the Braves to go easy on the National League this year. We'll catch up down the road. Do my best, Mark. Thanks for having me.